The following is a Poppy Chulo Radio original program. Let's go! Get up close and personal with some of your favorite male porn stars on One on One with Poppy Chulo. Created by Poppy Chulo, one-on-one showcases exclusive interviews with the adult industry's most popular male performers. Here's your host, Poppy Chulo. Welcome to One-on-One with Poppy Chulo. Today is Monday, October 2nd, 2023. Listeners, please welcome fan-favorite gay adult star and industry veteran performer, Thile Knox. Welcome to the show, Thile. Hello. Thank you, Poppy. It's really nice to be here. I appreciate it a lot. Thank you. It is wonderful to have you on. We have been chatting about this for a moment, so I'm really glad (laughs) that we're doing this. Like, I'm a big believer in everything happens for a reason. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, maybe it wasn't the right time then, but I'm, I'm glad it's the right time now. Absolutely. I think I'm kind of in sync with your, um, the way you think about that. It's, uh, Sometimes I sort of drop off and I come back, but it's, it's definitely been the right time, I think, now more than ever. So I'm really happy to connect with you, and thank you so much for having me on. Um, it's been a while, yeah, so thank you. You're welcome, and thank you as well. This is going to be fantastic. I'm sure the listeners and your fans are in for a treat, especially with yeah. some of the questions that I'm going to be asking. So uh, typically, I like to start off these interviews by getting some unique stats out the way. So what's your height and weight? Um, so I'm just going to go by feet and inches initially. I'm just under six feet tall. I'm about five and 11 and a half inches, um, five feet, 11 and a half inches. Um, I think that's like 181, 182 centimeters. And if you ask my weight, it was about 175 pounds. I'm not sure what that is in kilograms, maybe like 70 something. They can do conversions online. That's what Perfect. Google's for. Yes. Cool. What's yeah. your ethnic background? Uh, as far as I know, um, very fucking white, if you want it simplified. But uh, I think it's very Northern European. I know definitely a lot of Irish, and I think some, like, Finnish and Nordic, like, background. But not a whole lot else, as far as I know. I've never done, like, an ancestry DNA test or anything like that. What's your zodiac sign? I think it's Scorpio, November 19th. I believe you are right. Yes. Which explains everything for the people out there that follow Zodiac signs, <laughs> I feel. Yes. And how old are you? I am 32, but in November 19th, I will be 33. Happy early birthday. November is right around the corner. Thank you. I appreciate it. And when's your birthday? I'm a Gemini, June 16th. Okay. Well, um, it's a while, but happy belated birthday. Happy <laughs> Thank early you. birthday. I appreciate <laughs> it. Hey, yeah, I'll take it. You know, if you're going to give it, I'll take it. I appreciate it. <laughs> So let's get to know a bit about the man behind the performer. I mean, I know this is obvious, I think, for your hardcore fans, but if someone's tuning in and doesn't know this, where are you originally from? Yeah, so I'm Canadian through and through, but I'm sort of from all over. It's a very large country. I was born in the west of Canada in Alberta. I grew up in Cold Lake, which is a pretty big Air Force base in Canada. And I grew up there with my family um, until I was about 10 or 11, and my and then he got a posting to the east of the country in what we call the Maritimes in a province of New Brunswick. And I grew up um, in a much smaller community, basically not even a village, like the middle of nowhere, on a big lake 
in rural New Brunswick um, from 10 to about 20. And since then, I've moved all over. I've lived in Quebec. Um, I lived for shortly in uh, BC um, and a couple other places, like briefly. But I'm sort of from all over. Can you share with the listeners a bit about what life is like just in Canada, period? The majority of our listenership is in the United States, but we do have international listeners as well. And I'm sure some of them might be kind of curious. Like, what's it like, you know, living in Canada? Yeah, absolutely. Um, That's actually why I wasn't sure of the measurements to give, because I'm not sure. Like, I know you guys aren't metric, but it is, it's still very parallel to, like, the states in a lot of ways. But obviously, the states, you know, is a lot of, it's 50 states, very different. Like, it's 50 different countries, I feel. And Canada is sort of like 10 different countries in one as well. We have 10 provinces and 13 territories here. Um, It's a lot slower pace of life overall. We have a lot fewer major cities, a lot fewer people. I think there's just about as many people in all of Canada as there is in California. (laughs) So, um, and I think California has a much higher GDP and things like that. So uh, Canada is a much slower pace of life. Um, it's much more like, uh, Commonwealth, if you know what I mean by that, like we're, um, basically descended from the French and the British. Um, but we still hold a lot more ties to them. I guess even in modern days, we're still like, I'm not exactly what our political, um, leanings are called, but it's like parliamentary monarchy, something like that. So it's quite a bit different from what you have in the States politically, um, and we don't have, like, you know, a right to bear arms. And freedom of speech is a little bit more um, finely observed. Uh, I'm not sure how you would say this. But anyways, it's a slower pace of life. People are expected to be a little bit more polite, I guess, in their day-to-day activities. Um, but it's also not as exciting. Um, it's um, We've had – we were hit hard by the pandemic, as I know a lot of countries were. But Canada is really evolving uh, fast in some pretty positive and negative ways, I would say. Like, uh, anyways, it's it's fun to live here. It feels comfortable. I feel safe. Um, but at the same time, it's very expensive to live here. Um, every province is very different from one to the next, especially from the west to the east. And as I said, like I was partly raised in the west and the east, so. I'm fortunate in a way to have the two perspectives, but uh, it's also a little bit discouraging in some ways because every province is so different and you can't really rely on the same way of life, the same sort of social systems as you can if you move from like Quebec to BC or to New Brunswick. So anyways, I'm still uh, very much a Canadian, but a little bit lost in my own country these days, which I don't think is a unique sentiment. Um, But anyways, I've gone on quite a bit about that, so that's what it is to me. I appreciate it. I'm sure, you know, it's illuminating for the listeners because, I mean, they all have sort of like an idea of what Canada is like. So I appreciate the breakdown. Now, for you, what was life like growing up for you? What was young file like? (laughs) Yeah, so my family, I'm pretty lucky, like, even though... Um, my parents are a little bit, they come from a more conservative background. They were very fun people, very loving. And my father um, was educated. My mother was educated. And they 
like I said, we're kind of hardline about a couple things. I think it took a while for them to accept the fact that I was gay and stuff like that. But they always, at the end of the day, accepted me for who I was. And my real name is Taylor, and they always accepted Taylor. And I've adopted this whole other persona as style, and that's very much a part of who I am, too. And today, my parents and my whole family very much accept that about me. Like, there's no secrets about that or any weirdness about it as far as I'm concerned. So um, I'm very happy and very lucky to enjoy that sort of lifestyle. But at the same time, um, there's definitely some gaps um, between me and some of my other family members. And again, my parents are from another time. I don't think they'll ever fully understand like how I live my life. And I'm a millennial, but I'm also very much aligned with like Gen Z and Gen Alpha, whatever you want to call it. Um, I consider myself very progressive, very liberal. And most of Canada is that way, especially in comparison to, like, maybe the southern states. But anyways, I had a good upbringing. My parents loved me. We had enough money. But I also grew up in a military background. Like, my father was, you know, from a good old boys club. And he had a particular idea of how, like, men should be. And I'm their only son. I have two sisters, one older, one younger. So there was a bit of pressure of me uh, placed upon me to behave a certain way and adopt certain masculine attributes and... I was sort of all over the place as a child, sort of effeminate, sort of artsy, sort of masculine, sort of boyish, like sort of a mix of things. So I think it took a while for me to sort of understand what I was and for my parents to understand what I was and my family. But I was always accepted by my friends wherever I went. When I was in school in Alberta, New Brunswick, I always was fortunate enough to have a large group of friends who were quite progressive in their own ways and having their own issues with their own conservative family members. So. Ultimately, was quite happy. There was some tension with some particular family members, but uh, yeah, I think I had a very ordinary middle-class Canadian upbringing. Let's talk a little bit about your coming out experience. I know that you went into it just a bit right now, but when did you sort of first realize that uh, you were different? Um, I think I always kind of knew deep down without being able to really put words to it or understanding what it was. I can remember when I was maybe four or five years old, like, kissing and fondling other boys and, like, them doing it to me, too. You know what I mean? When we were having uh, hangouts and stuff or moms got together and tried to make their kids hang out. And it was very innocent and stuff like that. But I remember my mom being very discouraging of that type of activity, understandably. Um, She didn't really understand the fact that it was homosexual activity, but also, you know, you're a child and it's sexual activity and stuff like that. She just, she didn't understand and she did not um, encourage it. But uh, yeah, from a young age, I kind of think I always had an attraction to the opposite sex. To a point, I had an attraction to the same sex. It just sort of depended on the person. Um, So anyways... I think it was very clear from the outside, if not to me, but to the people looking at me, that I was maybe queer or bisexual or on the spectrum of sexuality in some way, but definitely not totally straight. I think it was very clear from a young age. And uh, I told my father when I was about 14 years old that I was probably at least bisexual, um, which was not an easy conversation to have. But... I just felt so compelled to tell somebody because I was so worried about it. I felt such a pressure to be uh, just a heterosexual, uh, you know, um, stereotypical masculine 
boy, man. I felt pressure from my family to do that. And fortunately, I was able to reach out to them. And my father, he was a little bit awkward about it. But again, I don't think my father was surprised. And I think it was a conversation we had to have. And he was very, very encouraging. He was like, well, you know, it takes time to understand what you are. And uh, you try to get close to somebody in school, the older you get. You know what I mean? And if it feels right, it feels right. That type of thing. So I really respect and appreciate my father for that. My mother was a different story. <laughs> she kind of, she had a much harder time with it. I think she, I think also the fact that she was a woman maybe had a bit to do with it. I honestly think the fact that my father, who was a, a straight man, but just the fact that he was a man, I think he sort of understood it a little bit more just because he was a man. I don't know if that makes sense, but to me, that's sort of how it felt. My mom didn't understand it at all. And she thought, you know, does this mean you, you want to be a girl? You know, does this mean that you... Like, she didn't really get it, so it took some time for me to figure it out and find a way to explain to her what it really was and what it meant. And today I identify as homosexual, as queer. Uh, I'd say I'm gay and that I'm queer, um, but I definitely went through a period of experimentation, and I've evolved, and I'll probably continue to evolve. But yeah, for the past, like, 10, 12, 15 years of my life, I've identified as a gay man, and... It was a little rocky at first, but overall, no one's really given me any hard time about it. It, it just, it is what it is. So I'm fortunate in that way. Let's talk a bit about your life just prior to entering the gay adult industry. What was going on with your life just before entering? Sure. So I, I entered the industry, um, I wouldn't say that I was old, but I wasn't 19. You know what I mean? I was almost uh, 27. I was like 26, 27. So I was an adult um, and was a lot more formed in who I was by that point, but still not fully. But I had just actually graduated from community college in New Brunswick. Um, I did a two-year course in business administration and marketing, and it was really, really good, a good experience. I was happy to have some type of certification diploma under my belt. But I was entering jobs right away after that, and I just was so unhappy with a lot of my experiences and I think eventually I came to understand that I just really don't like working for other people I don't like having a boss hounding me I don't like answering to other people that much it depends on the person but overall I just don't like it so I was doing camming through college before I even graduated just for fun because I had fun like connecting with people online being sexual just playing like that but I also realized that I could make money off it because I started doing it on sites like Chatterbait and Dudes Nude. I don't know if you know that site, but stuff like that. I used to do like video chats with people just for fun, just for the sheer thrill of it. And, but I started getting like a following from it and getting some money. So I was working full time my first year of college um, in, uh, at a homeless shelter <laughs> in New Brunswick full-time doing that and also full-time going to school. It was a lot. And I realized I want to focus on school, but I want to make money. So I was like, well, I can do way less hours out of my own house doing camming, get money, and then continue to focus on school. So that's sort of where I was. I had this whole camming thing and I developed a nice little following for myself and I had just finished school um, and was sort of open to whatever came my way. So that's sort of where I was at at that point in time. And this would have been um, like mid-2015. 
uh, sorry, mid 2017. Sorry, so I would have been uh, about 26 years old. All right, so let's talk about the official breakthrough into the industry. I mean, you said you started off pretty much camming, so that's kind of like you know dipping your toes in the industry. So what what led to your decision to just fully jump in? Yeah, so I'm gonna be honest. I never. Like, I grew up watching porn, don't get me wrong. Like, especially when I was 18, 19, you know, I was watching a lot of porn. I was looking for release, and I was looking for what was going on in the culture, you know, all the things that people look to when they do porn. And, um, well, at least for me, that's what I was looking for. And I did find all of those things, but I never thought that I would ever be a part of it. Like, uh, performing on camera, like, taking pictures of myself naked, showing people my naked body in that way. Um it was just something that I thought wasn't for me. But um, in my small town of New Brunswick, I actually, one of my best friends who's still my best friend, he actually had offers. He's a bit older than me. He had had offers to do studio porn for years. And he eventually decided to take it because he also wanted to go to post-secondary. He wanted to pay for nursing school. But he didn't quite have all the means to do it. But he knew that if he did porn, that he could quite easily pay his tuition. So he took a shot. Excuse me, took a shot, and uh, he went and came uh, from New Brunswick into Montreal. They shoot most of the studio porn in Montreal here in Canada, Montreal, Quebec. He came. He did a few scenes. He came back. He survived. He said some of it was kind of tough, but some of it was really fun. And the big thing was that he had money saved now, and he could pay part of that tuition. And then he started getting a couple other jobs, like here and there. They invited him back, flew him in. And um, anyways, uh, apparently they had already been slightly aware of me on the periphery because of chatterbaits. People who do studio porn, like scouting, uh, they check those sites, you know, campsites, OnlyFans, Twitter. They keep track of it to see who's, like... Um, who's getting retweets, who's popular, who's not, what sort of thing is in, what's not. And anyways, I guess I was um, hot enough at the time to sort of pop onto the radar. And then it wasn't just that I popped up on the radar because of campsites. It was because my friend also was able to put in a rec recommendation for me. And they called me, and then I said no <laughs> the first time they offered because I was – very afraid of that. I was like, porn, oh, that's like a whole different thing altogether. I don't think I could do that. I was really afraid, to be honest. But then they kept contact and every now and then reached out and then they made a good offer and then I was like, well, why not? My friend did it. Why don't I give it a shot? And then I did. And I sort of had a similar experience. It was a little bit tough, definitely something unique, but also kind of fun. And then I got money out of it. So I was like, well, maybe I'll try this again. And then it just sort of built from there. I didn't uh, actively plan to enter into this industry. It all just kind of happened, but in a, a really good way. So, In total, how long have you been in the business? I want you to include everything from the camming to now if you want to break it down, you know, in total. And then like versus yep. like studio years, you can do that as well. Okay, great. Yeah. So I think in total... It's a little over eight years now, probably eight and a half years. If I could, I can't say the exact day of the month, but around March 2015 is when I officially adopted the name File and started on Chatterbait. And that's where I started to build an audience. Um, 
And then porn came a couple years later. Perfect. And how many years in studio porn? Ooh, uh, four, just about four years, like officially, I'd say. All right. So pretty much like half of your time in total has been studio porn and half of the time has been either camming. Well, technically it would be both just doing it for yourself, you know, camming and, and creating your own original content. Yes, exactly. And some people know this and some people don't, depending on like how closely you follow me. But I didn't move to Montreal just solely to perform. Performance was definitely a part of it, but that was always part time. I actually was offered a job here to work for the major studios, like um, production studios that work for MindGeek, who film for all these studios like Men.com, Bromo, Brazzers, um, Cucky Poise, all that stuff. Any studio porn in Canada, basically we're filming it here in Montreal, Quebec. And I was um, the production assistant, the head of communications, um, basically like the right-hand man to one of the CEOs of the production companies here. So I was also very involved behind the scenes with um, a lot of other actors and a lot of other projects and stuff like that. So I was in the thick of it for like two or three years there for sure. Very awesome. All right. So let's talk about it. Once again, you sort of teased it, so I want to get into it a little bit more. Let's talk about your very first time on set. What was that experience like? What was that first official porn shoot like for you? Because, I mean, if you think about it, I mean, you've been doing you know, cam shows, so you're clearly comfortable with your body to be naked, but being naked by yourself is very different than being naked, number one, with a scene partner, and number two, with, like, official professional cameras in front of you, and, you know, maybe a director there, and that sort of thing, so what was that first experience like for you? Yeah, I'm, I'll just say I'm really happy you made the distinction, because it's, it's completely different. Like, you know, all this stuff is under the umbrella of what I would call the sex industry, but camming is very different from studio porn, which is very different from escorting, which is very different from stripping, which is very different from all the other stuff that includes sex industry stuff. So I definitely was coming from a different world than a lot of the other people in Montreal were in. Usually it's stripping, escorting, or studio porn, or modeling. You know what I mean? So I, uh, again, come from a unique facet of that world, um, at least in the place that I moved to in Montreal. And so my first experience with the studio porn stuff, definitely very different from the camp stuff that I did at home in my own bedroom. So uh, it was here in Montreal. They flew me in. I didn't know much about who I was filming with or how the scene was going to be. I got very little information. But everyone was nice to me and communications and things like that. And anyways, when I got here, it was like the very end of October, almost Halloween, and it was very cold. It's Canada. Like, it was very, very chilly. And we had to film. It was indoors, but it was technically outside because it was at this old warehouse uh, somewhere, in, like, near the canal of Montreal. And so it was cold. It was quite actually chilly to be filming this sort of thing. Um, so for me, that was the biggest thing. I was like, oh, my God, this is <laughs> this is like a, a not an easy job. You actually have to physically commit and you have to be prepared to um, suffer a, a little bit. Like um, I was not warm. I was not comfortable at all when I was filming it. I realized very quickly that when it comes to studio porn, it's so much more about how it looks 
on film than how it feels to you. Like, I learned that there has to be, at least for me, from the way I see it, there has to be a level of performance. Absolutely. You are hamming things up for the camera, especially when you're cold, especially when you are afraid or nervous because you've never been here before. I'm an Anglo-Canadian. Montreal is very French. You know what I mean? There's English here, but it's a different culture, a different language. Like, and people were speaking multiple languages on set, people I'd never met. It wasn't a huge crowd, but there was enough people there for me to feel a little bit nervous. I had no idea really what I was doing. But I figured, why not? I'll go for it. I did the best I could. I think my first uh, scene was with um, Bo Sin. I don't know if you know who that is, but he has a massive penis. Wait. uh, Your first scene was with Bo Sin? They yes, threw did. you, they didn't throw you, they tossed you into the deep end of the pool with your first scene. Yes, and you know what? I don't think I ever got enough credit for that. <laughs> because like, I'm going to give you all the I, credit right now. What? That is insane to me. I didn't even know who I was going to be filming with, and then all of a sudden, like, I show up, and there's this guy, and he has a bunch of tattoos. He's nice enough, but, like, he's a stranger with tattoos. And then he goes around the corner. I don't know what he does, but he comes around the corner, and then his clothes are off, and his dick is hard, and it's like 12, 13 inches long. I was like, oh, boy, okay. <laughs> that <laughs> is like, – um, my mind uh, is blown right now because that's crazy. Like, you would have thought – like, no offense to these performers and their sizes. This is not me judging sizes. But you would have thought course. they would have they start you, started you off with, like, a, like a Ryan Bones or a William Seed <laughs> or something. Like Oddly enough, uh, yeah, oddly enough, Ryan Bowens was in that scene. (laughs) Oh, there you go. uh, He wasn't fucking me in that scene, but he was also in it. Like, again, I'm also going to say this uh, to preface that I never, by this point in my life, I wasn't watching much studio porn. I was mostly a Tumblr amateur type of porn consumer at this point. When I was younger, like I mentioned earlier, when I was 18, 19, maybe 20, I was watching a lot of studio porn. But these guys weren't in the porn I was watching when I was that age. So, like, I didn't know who was who for the most part. I didn't know what was what. But anyways, uh, yeah, I got thrown into the ring with um, Bosin, a real a real serpent of a penis. You know what I mean? <laughs> like a, a real um, sort of what I would consider a tough job for a newbie. But he was great. And, I mean... It wasn't the hottest scene I think I've ever filmed, but I made it through it, and I put in my best effort, and they called me back after that. And it's funny because um, the guy who booked me was like, I don't even think you would come back. <laughs> so, like, he was uh, even surprised that I came back uh, after that initial scene. But, yeah, it didn't scare me away. For the most part, I was still very interested, and I wanted to know more about it. Uh, so, yeah, I don't think there was a whole lot after that that could have phased me. If I could say that, because, again, I just sort of um, had a very tall order from the very beginning. So, Absolutely. Major props to you. Um, I don't know what Boson is like personally, but I, I would hope that he was uh, very gentle and maybe patient with you being your first time and clearly having to take a whole lot of meat. Yeah, he honestly was. Like, don't get me wrong, I'm... I'm homo, he's straight, so, like, there was never going to be, like, a genuine, like, attraction as far as that went, but he was definitely 
very professional in that first meeting. And if it had have gone anything uh, worse than that, I probably wouldn't have come back. So, you know, like I had to give props to him too for the fact that it, it was good enough that I was interested in returning. So. Absolutely, yes. All right, major props to you for having a good scene so that, you know, you did have an interest in coming back. Now, prior to all of this, I know that we talked about you being a fan of porn, and clearly, I mean, you were already a part of the sex industry when you started camming and that sort of thing, but uh, I'm much more curious right now into getting into your mindset about, like, when you started camming, was doing porn, like doing hardcore porn, you know, not just camming by yourself, but like doing hardcore porn in the industry. Was that something that you were interested in doing? Was like being in porn an idea in the back of your mind as something that you ever wanted to try? Uh, I think so, yeah. Like superficially, I'm not sure what the right words would be to explain this, but I'll try my best. I think it's one of those things, at least from my perspective, where it's like, oh yeah, it'd be cool to do that. It'd be cool to try that out. It'd be cool to experience that. Like, and I think people who do that, you know, deserve their props for the fact that they're willing to do that. Because a lot of people watch porn, but, like, I feel like porn stars are beloved and hated in ways that other artists and other celebrities and other personalities are not. You know what I mean? It's sex. And like you said, some of it's very hardcore. Some of it's very, very explicit. So... I think I never really had an issue. I never thought it was a bad thing. Like, as long as it was done with a certain amount of respect or as long as you weren't doing it because you were hard up or because you were manipulated, you know what I mean, things like that, which I don't feel like none of that stuff was ever done to me. I always felt in control. Like I said, I was 25 by the time I started camming, 24. So... It wasn't very old, but I was definitely what I would consider an adult by that point in my life. Um, nudity, sexuality, and stuff like that, never I never thought it was bad, uh, even though like I might have been told otherwise because I was uh, leaning more towards a gay <laughs> lifestyle or a gay disposition. You know, my parents told me that was wrong. People said it was wrong. But I knew, like, once I left that small realm, that small town, like mentality that it, the world was much more progressive than that overall. Um, again, having said that, I think the stuff that I did so explicit, like, you know, spreading my asshole on camera and like smiling a big smile, spreading a V for victory, whatever you want to call it, like a V for victory, excuse me. I do understand to some people that's just like, it's so obscene and so perverted, but I don't think that that is bad. And over time, I kind of, after I started developing an audience, I think I realized, well, this really isn't bad. A lot of people are enjoying this and finding something good out of it. And I feel like maybe I'm showing people that, that you can do this in a healthy way, like in some way that's, you know, sort of a release for everybody that's uh, good-natured, good-spirited, and intended for adults, enjoyed by adults. That's sort of the attitude I was starting to develop quite early on. And that's definitely the attitude that I hold now. So for me, it was more thrilling than it ever was scary. And I have dealt with some, especially when I grew up in a small town and I was doing this camp stuff and porn stuff. Uh, some people had some opinions on it. And some people were a little bit uh, cruel 
a little bit nasty, but I never felt like it would stop me. It was never enough to make me reconsider anything that I was doing. Um, so I feel, again, a little bit fortunate that for whatever reason, I just always had that approach to it, that mindset. I love that. You know, shake the haters off. I'm glad that, For sure. yeah, I'm glad that you were, you were able to shake them off and uh, do whatever you wanted to do. Yeah. Like they're not paying my mortgage, you know? So like, uh, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> You're right about that. Yes. So let's talk about your popularity in the industry because once you started doing studio work, I mean, you were like the hotness. Like, let's just be honest. Like, you were getting a ton of scene work. The The fans were reacting incredibly positive to you. I want to get your take on two things. Number one, what did you think of the fan reaction, like, initially? Like, as you were, you know, seeing how they were reacting on social media and, and that sort of thing. And number two, why do you think the fans connected with you so well? Like... What do you attribute the reason for the fans clicking with you? Well, thank you a lot. Um, it feels nice to hear somebody say that because I never was totally sure of how it was viewed. On Chatterbait, uh, it was so fun because like, I was interacting directly with people. You know what I mean? Directly with an audience. It was live. I was live and they were live. And I was getting mostly just a lot of praise, a lot of compliments, but also like I was able to connect with so many different types of people, uh, men, women, straight, gay, trans, everything. And I loved all of it. Like uh, just because not only is it sort of intoxicating to get praise and to have like a sexual release with other people, all of that's wonderful, but just to feel like you had a significance in people's life, even if it's something like this, like sexual play or role play or just a release of some kind. It felt so invigorating and so validating to feel like I was a part of that, not only for myself, but for other people, you know, to hear people say like, you know, to see you do what you do makes me feel like I should be what I am and just do what I want to do. That's how I want people to feel. And that's all I ever tried to convey at the end of the day. Um, I guess uh, I'm super thankful. I will always be so grateful for the audience that I was able to acquire through the things that I've done through studio porn and through cam work and everything that I've done. They are so, so appreciative and they are so kind and so many people send so many nice messages. I get so many more nice messages than I ever do like sort of gray or nasty messages, even though they happen. Uh, even when those come in, I know that I'm affecting people in some way. And some of those people who are saying nasty things, I think, feel a lot better about me than they try to convey, I think, because they're lost in, the moments, in their own selves, excuse me. Uh, and I think it's taught me a lot about psychology, sexuality, and just community. Uh, a lot of things that I wasn't able to glean in my day-to-day -day life as sort of an awkward person. Uh, I'm a very different person in my day-to-day -day life than I am when I'm on cam. I feel very much in control of myself, and I feel like I'm doing something good for myself and for other people. So, 
anyways, it's super intoxicating to have praise, to have fans. Um, it really definitely um, increased my self-esteem to a healthy level, I'd say. I think some people have the impression that you might get kind of a big head when you make it in any capacity online, but so many people do, and so many people have wonderful things to offer. I didn't feel like I was any more special or any less special than anyone else. I was just so happy to have a space, and I'm so happy to have a space, and I want to continue to cultivate whatever I can from that. Uh, so yeah, for me, I love the fans. They are terrific. Um, sometimes I wish I could do more for them. I wish there was more I could offer, but most of them are just so appreciative that I'm, I feel content, and I hope they do too. I love that. Listeners, if you don't know, he's got over 250K followers on the website formerly known as Twitter, currently known as X. Yeah. 250K <laughs> uh, plus. Yes. Thank you. I definitely still, I personally still call it Twitter. Twitter, excuse me. Sorry, I do as well. And, and I have the hope that at one point it will go back to being that. Because it makes no sense. How do you take a website that has become a verb. That's like turning Google into searcher. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Anyway. Right? Exactly. Makes no, no sense. No, I totally agree. And uh, no, I totally agree. And just that was another thing too. You know, Twitter for me has also been a huge part of what I've become and my outlet and my source of connection, my source of release. Like, I still think it's a wonderful tool. It's just been co-opted by someone who's maybe doesn't want to use it for things so wonderful. But again, I, I'm so thankful to live in the era I live in uh, because I don't think I'd be who I am without it. So just wanted I, to say that too. I love that. And that's how we connected. And actually I went back and I scrolled through our DMs. We started talking a handful of months after you joined uh, the mainstream studio system. So we have been yeah, chatting for a moment. It's kind of crazy. For sure. Like I said, I'm really happy that you were still willing to do this show because it has been a while. And uh, um, you've really had your ear to the street with a lot of performers and a lot of people who come up and come and go, you know, in social media and stuff in the industry and outside the industry, too, I've noticed. So, like, uh, I commend you for keeping up on things and trying to uh, give people a platform and keeping your own platform afloat because I do think it's important. And for me... Um, in the past, I don't think I was in the right place, like mentally, emotionally, uh, professionally, to really give like a worthwhile interview, if that makes sense. But I'm a little bit older now and a little bit more well-adjusted, and I understand more of who I am. So thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to connect. You're welcome, and I appreciate the kindness as well. That was incredibly kind of you to say. So uh, let's get into, I think, the big question right now that maybe some of your fans might have. Uh, let's talk about your performer name, period. Where did the name Thiel come from? Where did the name Thiel Knox come from? I've noticed that, you know, based off of some changes to your Twitter profile, it looks like Thiel is the focus right now. Where did the name come from? Why the change? I'm sure the fans might be curious. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so... File, honestly, I don't know where it came from, but I was horny and I wanted to cam, but in order to do that, I had to create a profile on, like, Chatterbait. I'm pretty sure it was, like, where this all started. 
So at first, when I went to type in a name, I typed in Taylor. That's my real name. And then I was like, well, maybe I shouldn't, maybe I should adopt like a personality or something. Or like, maybe I should have like some more semblance of anonymity. Uh, Tyler? Maybe Tyler. A lot of people call me Tyler. <laughs> like, um, uh, just because people forget that my name is Taylor. When they first meet me, they call me Tyler. So it's like, let's go with Tyler. But then I was like, mm. but that's also not, there's a lot of people called Tyler. So I literally just somehow was typing stuff there for five minutes, coming up with different stuff and file. That's, I'm, so file, that's what I was known as a chatterbait, just file, no file knocks, nothing like that. File, lowercase letters, style. And like my first, second show, uh, by the second show, I really had captured an audience, like fortunately for me. And that's what I was, was style. So I leaned really, I was like, this is good enough for me. I didn't have expectations about it becoming a bigger thing. I was just like, file works. This is what I'll be on Chatterbait. And then I kept uh, doing shows a lot. And then people just came to know me as that, just style. And I came to realize it's no one actually has that name. Like, you know, it's a pretty unique name. Who else has that name? So, um, uh, I was just style in the cam world. And then the porn studios found me and I actually wanted, they wanted me to come up with a name, a last name. And I was like, I really have no idea. I'm no good at this. Can I just be known as style? Anyways, um, like men.com and stuff, they didn't want, they wanted me to have a second name, two names. So anyways, that's why I relented and was like, whatever. And they came up with Knox, K-N-O-X-X, two X's. And I think part of their reasoning was like, there was already a lot of Knoxes in the industry, you know, like people with the last name Knox. But this was two X's, so it's like Knox 2.0. I think that was their reasoning in their head. But whatever. It was a last name. It completed the the format for them. And so that's what I adopted. And when I did studio porn, that's what it took off as, was style Knox. But <laughs> when I eventually stopped porn, so many people also just knew me as style. Even people who I know in my private life, depending on who they are and how they know me, a lot of people call me Thile. I'm Thile to them. I've never been Taylor to them. You know what I mean? And I answer to that. That's part of who I am is Thile. So I'm very much Taylor and Thile. But it's just Thile. After porn ended, that's really what I, I'm Thile. And I sort of wanted to demonstrate in a way, either symbolically or professionally, whatever, however you want to call it, that I was Thile again that I'm sort of embracing what I was before the studio porn. It's not like I'm trying to forget what it was. I'm just trying to kind of take back the narrative in a way, I guess. This is style now. It's not style Knox. This is something that's separate from the studio work, and this is all something he's doing on his own. Like in the beginning, that's sort of how it happened. What do you enjoy most about starring in porn scenes? Sometimes you meet fantastic people, and it can be so much fun filming. It's a lot of hard work, don't get me wrong, but sometimes you hit it off so well with the other performer. It's an amazing scene. It's amazing sex. It's fun, and it just invigorates you, and you know that people are going to enjoy it. You know what I mean? Or you're confident that people are going to enjoy it because you enjoy it, and just people feeling like they're in some way represented or some way entertained uh, or in some way affected positively by whatever it is you're doing on camera. To me, that's everything. I really like reaching people. 
as long as it's, you know, mostly in a good way. And I think for the most part, that's what I've done. When you were on a porn set, what turned you on the most and what turned you off the most about uh, studio porn and porn set life? I think what turned me on the most was the fact that I was giving, being given the opportunities to even do this. Like, you know, I'm, they think that I can perform this or demonstrate this or they want to see what, what kind of energy I have to give. They're interested in seeing whatever I come up with, with this other person. To me, that was really validating and really encouraging, I guess. Um, just the fact that anyone would be interested in seeing it. And the fact that producers and business people who were, like, making money off of it and controlling, you know, pulling the strings, they wanted to see it. They wanted to see what I could come up with with another person. And I found that exciting and fun. But also, it can be very demanding, and you don't always hit it off with the other performer. And a lot of uh, men who do gay porn are straight or bi um, or have personal baggage, you know, it's like basically any profession. I don't want to like put a spotlight on it as something negative, but you're being asked to perform, you know, naked, something sexual, like you're revealing and giving away a lot of yourself, your essence, your body, all of that stuff. And sometimes it's not always that gratifying or that validating, um, depending on who you're working with or depending on what the script is. It's not always fun to recite these lines or to, perform these convoluted plots it can be quite draining sometimes and I was never asked to do anything that I totally was completely against and I never would have done that anyway but there was a lot of times where I was literally just acting because this is somebody else's fetish but it's not mine at all so for me uh, I don't have to do that so much when I do you know OnlyFans content or cam content like I'm very much enjoying it involved in what I do but studio stuff, I'm inhabiting somebody else's uh, pleasure, I guess. Let's break a porn scene down. In a scene, which do you enjoy the most, giving or receiving oral? Oh, I'd probably say giving um, because on camera I just feel like uh, – I'm not too sure, actually. That's a good question. In my personal life, I – prefer receiving oral much more than I prefer giving, but I like both. But on camera, I feel like I can maybe, since I'm not as into it as, uh, like, if I was uh, uh, receiving it, I feel much more performative, which I think maybe benefits me a little because I'm not lost in my own pleasure, which can be hot, but I'm, like, sort of hamming it up, if that makes sense. Like, I'm just sort of, like, very aware of the angles and things like that. And I know kind of the better angles to give when you're performing those types of scenes. So I sort of prefer being the giver more than the receiver in studio stuff like that. In a scene, in regards to rimming, which do you enjoy the most, giving or receiving? Uh, receiving, but I love to give too. For me, rimming on... From any position is good. It's one of my favorite things personally and professionally to do. In a scene, what's your favorite sexual position to perform? And if it's different as a top, as a bottom, you can split it up in that way. Uh, for me, I guess it really depends on the partner. Some people just have, 
you know, depending on your physicality and your chemistry, sometimes a certain position might work better than others. But I really, I love missionary. I love looking in their face. And when it's a really good connection, it's so hot. I feel the most desired, and I feel like I'm giving them the most desire that they deserve. But also, doggy style is so hot. It's hot to receive doggy, to give doggy, and it looks hot on camp. Um, so I guess I'm maybe not too exciting. It's doggy and missionary for me. In your personal life, is it the same? Pretty much, yeah. It really depends on who I'm with. I consider myself very versatile, and I'm actually more of a, might surprise people, but I'm more of a top in my personal life than I actually am a bottom. Oh, we're going to talk about that. Yes, we're going to talk about that. Okay, cool. But just like, so for me, like, again, it's a totally different space a lot of the time that I'm inhabiting when I'm performing. So it depends on who I'm performing with. Sometimes it just works better depending on all these factors. So I'm quite open to whatever can happen, I guess. And, of course, we know how a scene ends with the cum shot, the pop shot, the money shot. In a scene, where's your favorite place to shoot your load? Where's your favorite place to take a load? Again, I might come off as boring, but when I'm – I have a much easier time coming inside someone. But it's nice to come on a face, too. (laughs) That always looks fucking hot, too. Or on an ass or something. But I think, like, cream pies are hot. I love to receive them. I love to give them. And I, um, you, again, as you say, the money shot, a lot of the times you have to, like, pull out. You know what I mean? When you do studio scenes and really sort of exaggerate that type of thing. So for me, it's just so much more natural to, like, come in somebody and, like, maybe push it out or play with it a little bit. Even if you don't want to do that, I don't know. But for me, that's, that always feels a little bit more, more real, hotter. Um, but, uh. Coming is, like, ejaculating isn't always, like, the end goal for me, even depending on what I'm doing sexually. Sometimes I don't ejaculate at all, depending on what's going on. doesn't mean I didn't have fun. So I guess I look at everything very uh, individualistically. You referenced it, so let's talk about it. You know, in perusing your sort of, like, scene credits and that sort of thing, I mean, it's pretty obvious that I would say, and maybe your math is different, or maybe you might agree, I would say I think 90% of your studio porn work, might even be 95% of your studio porn work, you were the bottom. You only topped a very tiny amount. You know, maybe a handful, maybe two handfuls worth of scenes where you topped... Why was that? Did the studios just want to see you bottom? You just referenced the fact that in your personal life, you top a lot more. You feel like you are much more of a verse performer. Were you ever told why you kept on getting booked for bottoming scenes versus either top or verse scenes? Yeah, totally. So I don't think I enjoyed studio stuff as much as other guys did, at least I had a much harder time inspiring myself to come, <laughs> depending on the situation. So when you're bottoming, if you don't have to worry about constantly being hard like the top does, it makes the scene so much easier. And the thing is, like, I already knew that I could get booked for that easy. You know what I mean? So those are the scenes that I took, like, all the time because I knew I could perform that. I can bottom. But 
there are things you can take, like you can take uh, Viagra, you can take Cialis. They have IV injections <laughs> for penises, like to, to create erections. There's a lot of things they can do, camera work, studio work. But I didn't want to do too much of that. I wanted it to be as real as I could make it. Um, and it was just much easier for me to bottom in that regard. And also, I think my physicality had something to do with it, too. Like, I'm very pale. I don't have tattoos. Um, I look more clean-cut than some of the other people and sort of more twinky, kind of a twunk, whatever you want to call me. So, like, I wasn't this big stallion of a top. If You know, I might have had, like, a, a sizable dick, but otherwise I didn't maybe not look like a total top or maybe the type of thing that would have appealed to a particular demographic in uh, the gay community. So I... Like, I turned down roles if I didn't want them, and I took them if I wanted them, and I just felt a lot more comfortable doing bottom roles because I knew that I could do the scene a lot more effectively. It was hit or miss if I was topping. All right, that's understandable. I appreciate the yeah. breakdown. And something else that you actually did a lot, and my assumption is, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, I think you were doing this probably at, a, at around the time when you were working directly BTS with the major studios. You had a lot of non-sex roles, you know, basically sort yeah. of like the comedic element, the setting up of the scene, the reaction at the end of the scene, and that sort of thing. Was that fun to do, uh, you know, while you were there working behind the scenes? Was it fun to be able to just to show up on set and not have to worry about the sex, get a little comedy in maybe, and, uh, you know, call it a day basically and, and get back to behind the scenes? Absolutely. There's no question. Um, I always had fun doing that stuff, again, because the pressure of the physical performance was off. And like you said, I was directly working with these, um, with these actors in these scenes. And so they call it extras and B-roll. B-roll, I don't know if you're familiar, but in studio porn, and I'm, I think in films in general, B-roll is like all of the stuff, the plot, before the sex. It's none of the sex. The B-roll is like you setting up everything like you mentioned, in the non-sexual roles. And that actually usually takes longer to film uh, than the actual sex. Like, uh, producers would show up during the B-roll performance to make sure that that went well for the ad moments and things that they were after. But once the sex started, they would leave. <laughs> like, so it was very important to get this right. And all the studio porn we were doing was also in English. And I'm an Anglophone. I speak English. That's my native language. And in Montreal, a majority of the performers are not native English speakers or almost don't know any English. So I could say these lines, I could memorize them. And also, like, don't get me wrong, I'm not Tom Hanks, but like, to a point, I could sell the scene. I could, I understood the character, I understood what they wanted in the extra. And since I was working directly behind the scenes, it was just easier for me to adopt that role and go into it. I already knew what was expected of me. I already had, like, a persona. And it was fun for me. And I got paid to do it, you know. So there was even times when, like, Men.com, MindGeek and stuff would specifically write me in as a suggestion. It's like, for this extra role, consider Thile Knox. You know what I mean? And that's why I would do it a lot. I was just there, and I knew for sure I could do it effectively for the most part. How would you describe your fuck style? How would you describe your style of fucking, your performance style? And yeah. 
How has that evolved over time? Did it evolve? Did you feel like it evolved over the time that you were doing studio work and now doing your own creations? I do feel like it has evolved. I think that's something that, at least for me, I will continue to like have an evolution, whether gradual or, or uh, fast-paced. But absolutely. I was still figuring out who I was in a lot of ways when I first started studio porn. I was in my late 20s, but I was still in my 20s, and I was still living in the same small community that I had gone to high school in, and there wasn't a whole lot of uh, gay people around. There weren't a whole lot of gay people around. There wasn't really a scene, stuff like that. I didn't really know what was going on out there. I just kind of understood to a point what was going on within me. And I guess now I've sort of discovered... I'm much more of what I would call, like, I'm into sensuality, like violence and um, rape and things like this don't appeal to me. I don't have those type of fantasies, no judgment for people who do. But I've realized these aren't things, like, I don't get off on watching a studio porn scene where, like, like they're acrobats, like, you know, and they're pulling each other through their legs and fucking each other's ears and just convoluted shit like that. To me, that's not exciting. Like, uh, I'm a little bit boring in that I just like to see two people who are really into each other. Fuck. I like to see passion. I like to see them enjoy each other. So in my personal life, I would, that's my fucking style, I guess. I like passion. I like sensuality. I like gentleness. It can be rough. It can be hard sometimes, but that's not like the defaults. And unless the other person is fulfilled, I'm not fulfilled. Like to me, it's. It's about mutual fulfillment. That's what sex is to me. Um, porn often is very different, you know. Oftentimes it's about the top's fulfillment or... And again, it has its place. But in my personal life, that's never what I was about. If you've ever seen me be rough or violent or mean, and I don't think I really have been to any particular level in the studio stuff I did, but I definitely adopted some characters um, throughout my time. Like, uh, there were boys I was rough with and... Sometimes I play the cock, you know what I mean? I'm not either of those things. So so far in the time that you've been in the business, who have been some of your most favorite performers to work with? I'm not necessarily looking for like top five or something like that. Just names that sort of pop into your mind as like, you know what? That was a really good scene. Yeah, totally. Again, I feel really lucky that I, I did have quite a few <laughs> that I can go on and on about that I have high praises for. Honestly... Uh, most of them, I I can sing their praises and say that it was wonderful working for them. It was a good opportunity. Um, locally, here in Canada and Montreal, um, I always really liked, I liked William Seed. I really like Malik Delgatti. Um, I think he's very professional, and I think he deserves a lot of fame and a lot of appreciation. Raphael Louis, uh, I don't know if you ever heard of him. He's fantastic. Yes. He did a yes, I I love that man. He's he's wonderful. Just personally, he's wonderful, and I think as a performer, he was great. I feel he was very real. You know, no steroids, no attitude. He was just a very handsome, very sensual man who appreciated other men. And so I think he might be near my top. I still talk to him quite a bit. I really like Manuel Sky a lot. I think he's very professional, a pro. Most of them, honestly, here are great. Marcus Cage was pretty great. Um, I like Dante Cole a lot. Um, Alex Mecom is a sweetheart and a wonderful performer. 
Gabriel Clark. There's honestly a lot. I'm really lucky in that regard. For the most part, they are really excellent men. Who have you not worked with yet that you would love to do a scene with? Is there anyone on your must-do list? Yeah, your wish list? I think only one. Yeah. When I was young, I always was, I was obsessed with Antonio Biaggi. I don't know if I'm pronouncing his name correctly, but, you know, like... Yes, Antonio Biaggi. Yes. Yeah, yes. There you go. Yeah. Um, him. I was always super into him. Like, and I'm pretty sure he's uh, straight in real life, but I always really liked Girth Brooks. But these are, like, men from another time, I think. But other than that... Um, not really anybody in the, in the studio world. Are there any individuals in the industry that you look up to? Are there any individuals that have inspired you in some way with sort of like the mark that you're trying to leave in the business? Yes. This is something I should think more about. Um, and it's a good question. I really admire Francois Sagat, who is French. Again, I yes. don't think I'm pronouncing that correctly. No, you got it right. But I yeah. just, yes, I just think uh, I've always really admired him. I think he's attractive, and I just think he does what he wants. And um, he has his his hands in multiple pools, not just studio porn and modeling, but he has like his hands in comedic things and and film. And I've always sort of admired him, and just he does his own thing. And I know there are others, but I'd have to spend more time uh, actually like observing their their catalogs and their biographies and stuff like that. I know there's so many. I just, uh, <laughs> I feel like if I give one name that I'm going to feel bad that I didn't give three others, if that makes sense. I totally understand. All right. So now it's time for the big question. A question that I'm sure a lot of your hardcore fans and supporters might be curious to know. How much is Thile packing? <laughs> Thile Knox Thile is about 8 inches long and just about 6 inches thick. Just about. And uncut. I am uncut, yeah. Very and um, just a side note, my father is cut. And... Um, my parents made a conscious decision not to have that done to me. Um, it's not as common up here as it is in maybe the States and the other places of the world. I have no preference personally. But, yeah, I mostly am experienced with uncut. That's, like, where I come from. Let's talk about the pop shots, because I feel like you are known for being a shooter. So is there anything that you do in preparation to a scene where you know that you have to come to make sure that you have that sort of perfect money shot. Thank you. I haven't always uh, delivered, but I feel like I really am a, a lot more forceful when I do my like personal stuff, my amateur stuff, whatever you want to call it. Don't come for like at least a couple days um, and spend time like, you know, maybe eyeing men now and then on the streets or maybe looking at a couple pictures or maybe sexting someone you really like, just kind of build it up a bit, kind of get yourself in that mindset, get your body ready. And if you can really connect with the person that you're filming with, then there's not a whole lot of effort that is required. One thing I will say, I started taking magnesium 
a year or so ago, just as a uh, supplemental vitamin. And I don't think it's made my cum shots any more forceful. I feel like it's maybe made it slightly more voluminous, just a little bit, because I started taking magnesium and vitamin D um, because I went to my doctor and I was definitely vitamin D deficient because I don't go outside enough. But apparently, like, if you take magnesium with vitamin D, uh, for some people, it really, I'm not sure how it works physiologically, but it uh, helps the absorption of one of the other. And I just feel like I have more volume now, like the last year or so when I come. Something that I'm curious about that maybe your fans might be as well, a chance to take Thile home with them. Was there ever an offer for an official Thile Knox dildo? Never, unfortunately. But uh, that's something I would be interested in for sure. Okay, because I feel like, especially with your size... Like, it's obvious. Like, uh, so if the opportunity came, you would say yes. I would. Well, clearly, uh, if it's financially beneficial as well for you, you know what I'm saying? It's got to be a absolutely. good deal. Oh, totally. But at the same time, like, um, I'm happy for all the uh, attention that I have received over the years, but I'm not exactly the superstar that some of the other boys are. You know what I mean? Some of the men, like, those are the people that they're are really interested in making, like, dildo casts of. You know what I mean? Like, um, Max Connor, William Seed, stuff like that. Like, understandably, like, they have huge audiences, and they sell, and they're very reliable from a marketing standpoint. I think with me, I just was never quite as big, uh, quite as popular, and not quite as reliable. So that's maybe why it never worked out. I love how you're being humble. I don't know about the reliable part, but I do feel like you made a name for yourself, sir, and you should not discount that. I'm just saying. As someone, I really appreciate that. You're welcome. As someone who's interviewed performers now for 15 years, originally on my blog and now podcasting, uh, you did make a big name for yourself, so don't knock yourself on that. I appreciate that a lot, and I've, I kind of wasn't sure about how people felt about me or kind of how my mark, if I even left a mark, if it was good or bad. But people like you um, and things like this, experiences like this are sort of reinforcing that it did matter to some people and that it was worthwhile and that I did make a name. And I really, really appreciate you helping me sort of realize that and giving me a platform to speak some of my thoughts. So thank you. You're welcome. Now let's talk about, it's kind of the elephant in the room. You've mentioned this a couple times. You've said porn ending, you've left studio porn, you're more focused right now on your original content, things like your OnlyFans, Just for Fans, doing cam shows on Chatterbait and that sort of thing. So I'm sure a lot of the listeners might be curious as to, number one, why did you leave studio porn? And number two... Would you ever go back? Would you ever do a comeback? Because, listen, I I would assume, maybe I'm wrong, but I would assume that you've probably gotten contacted by some of the studios to be like, hey, you know, would you like to come back? You know, we do have some work and that sort of thing. Because uh, my assumption is that you left, the, left all of that, you know, with a good reputation. So um, the question is, why did you leave? And would you ever consider going back even, you know, for a brief period? Of time yeah no uh, I appreciate the question it's something I've still been thinking about like it's been two years since I've done the studio stuff 
the thing is, <laughs> I don't think I was the greatest employee when I was doing all the behind the scenes stuff. But to my credit, I also did not have the best bosses or the best associates to work with. And I'm not talking about performers. I'm talking about directors, production assistants, and CEOs. Um, I did not like the way they handled things sometimes. Sometimes, quite frankly, I felt like a circus animal. And I felt like some of the performers and some of the employees were treated like that. <laughs> so anyways, I had all this experience on my own as file on Chatterbait and stuff like that. And so I sort of knew that I had already had a name for myself and could provide for myself and could explore avenues on my own. And porn definitely, like, the studio stuff definitely increased my visibility and my name, which is wonderful. But it was more like, to me, towards the end of it, it, it felt more like a stepping stone than it did, like, a chapter that I would be involved in for many years. A five years in studio porn is quite a long time for an actor. You know what I mean? Like, it's the, the landscape is changing. Uh, I mean, day to day, it's changing very fast now. But five years, that's a long time, and I did it for four. And I felt like I was fed up, at least with all the behind-the-scenes uh, endeavors that I was doing, the production side. I didn't like who I was working with. I didn't feel like I was being compensated fairly. Uh, I wanted something different. And I also kind of felt like at the same time that my my time in the studio spotlight had also cut. I wanted to get out while the getting was good, if that makes sense. It felt like a good time to leave while I still had a fairly recognizable name and a fairly recognizable presence. It felt like a good time instead of just having it painfully gradually fade away. I felt like that's what it would have become if I had have stayed doing production and doing performing. So uh, that's ultimately the reason why I left. I had a lot of disagreements with the CEO. He's a, he's a straight guy trying to run like, you know, a gay porn empire in Canada. Like I respect him, but also he's very out of place in my opinion, <laughs> like, or at least at the time I felt he was very out of place in what he was doing. More interested in, the money than the actual quality of the studio work like fair enough but we disagreed on a lot of fronts and i i did not care about that job towards the end of it so it came to a point where it was time to leave and i did and it was not a decision i made lightly it took a lot of time um i think i kind of lingered for a lot longer than i should have but th at the end of the day it was the right decision and i'm really happy that i made it and i don't regret the fact that i did studio porn and Again, thank you for making me feel a little bit more uh, uh, proud in the things that I did. It's not that I felt ashamed. It's just I was never really sure, like, if I made that good of an impression. And I wanted to at least take back my own narrative so that I at least was giving my own impression from that point forward. Like, now I'm just style and I control things. And it is a lot better for me, style. And that's completely understandable. I feel like nowadays, I mean, it's crazy how things change in a couple of years, but really since the pandemic, because of COVID and because, you know, the studio porn system really, you know, stopped dead in its track, you know, much like mainstream yep. Hollywood. Ever since that and the emergence of, I mean, it's not to say Olim fans did not exist pre-pandemic, 
But because of the pandemic, it became ever so necessary for sex workers, really with OnlyFans, with Just for Fans, and with the other original content uh, websites that are out there. I mean, that gave people an option to not have to do the studio porn circuit on all sides of the industry. And nowadays, I mean, I feel like a lot of that is much more beneficial for performers, period. And there are some that I've interviewed recently over the course of this past year that are foregoing the studio system and are specifically focusing on themselves and their own original content. So I'm not saying you need to rush back to the studios. I mean, I think studio work can be beneficial for a performer. It's a way to open themselves up to a larger audience almost instantly. But at the end of the day, if you're putting in the work on social media and you have your own means of promoting yourself, you can survive and thrive by doing your own original content. Yep, I 100% agree with you. You're correct. And I guess uh, maybe I didn't answer it fully. <laughs> um, I You asked me if I would go back. The thing is, I do think studio porn is still a great thing. I think porn and sex and all that stuff and sharing it with people in this type of way is good. And I would never be averse if, like, the right offer or the right circumstance came along. I just like being more in control, I guess. But some people, um, they prefer to have – to just be performing, you know what I mean? Have other people pulling the strings and arranging things for them and uh, scheduling things and all that stuff. So for them, like – and like you said, it can be – it introduces you to a whole new audience. Uh, so it's definitely a beneficial thing for many people. And I don't think that it's going to totally go away anytime soon, but you're 100% like COVID really expedited, like this whole entrance into self-governance and, you know, self-promotion. And, you know, you're basically collecting 80% of the money instead of giving 50, 60% of it away to someone else. You know what I mean? Like, you're making your own scenes. You're, if you're writing scripts, it's it's your script. Like, that's really wonderful, and I think a lot more people, rightfully, are getting involved in that or attracted to that. But studio porn will have its place for a long time in some way or another too. So I would never write it off totally. All right, listeners, you heard it here first. We'll see if anything ends up happening in the future. Very interesting. All right, now what I want to do now is sort of shift gears a little bit and talk about some of the more serious sort of issues in the industry as a whole. And the first question that I have for you in this set is, are there any misconceptions or myths about porn performers that you would like to dispel? Hmm. I'm not sure what some of the hard myths are at this point in time, but I guess it's like any workplace it's like any work environment there are people who are crazy there are people who are wonderful there are very educated people there are people who are dumb as a bag of rocks like it's the gamut it's like any workplace and this extends to people who are performing the stars like the people who are writing the ceos the production assistants the producers the directors it's like anything it's you kind of have to Take your time to figure out who is what and really invest in the good partners and the good energies and the good personalities, the people who really have like mutual benefit in mind. 
because not all of them do. Some of them are definitely out to exploit you for nothing else than to exploit you. But I don't think that's too different from almost any type of work environment, especially in the business world. So I, and also, <laughs> if I ever came to a scene, like, if I, like, if I was clearly high, like, from my eyes, if anyone's, like, clearly tweaking, if you're drunk, if you're just messed up, they do not film the scene. And you are lucky if you ever get called back for another one because that has a huge mark against your reputation and your professional profile in the industry. I don't know how it used to be. I don't know how it is in every studio or every setting. But as far as I was going into it here, where I was filming, if you were not coming ready to work and you weren't straight, like they would not bring you back, basically. And you would definitely suffer professional um, strikes against you as a result. So people are clear-minded largely when they do these types of things, at least where I come from. Is there an aspect of the adult industry that you do not enjoy? I guess um, just how many false things can be said about you on like social media and blogs and stuff like that. In the beginning, I used to, um, when my first few scenes came out, I, uh, I think it's called way big. I don't know what it's called now, but it's like a blog where like, you know, they'd comment on new scenes or something like that would come out and something like that. And I checked it a few times and for the most part, like people seem pretty appreciative, but some people are really nasty. And so like after like the third time I had done that, I was like, I will stop doing this. I will just check Twitter and OnlyFans and stuff. Um, I guess I have maybe a bit of a thin skin. But also, I just think, what's the use in trying to, like, these people, if they don't like me, what am I, I can't please everyone. So, and I, some of the stuff I read, too, was like, this is so untrue, this is inaccurate, this is totally not what I am, this is just what they see in a scene. Like, a lot of people, you know how if you watch a movie, a Hollywood film, and you play a video game or watch a music video? It's for entertainment purposes, right? The vast majority of these products are marketed and filmed in such a way that they're supposed to paint a particular picture or a particular vibe. But it's a fantasy. It's acting. And porn is even more of a fantasy and even more of an acting position than films and video games and music videos. But a lot of people, because it's porn, seem to think that that's real. But they can look at a film and understand that that's fantasy. But porn is real. Do you understand what I'm saying? That type of thing. Uh, like... A lot of people don't understand that you are selling a product and that you are performing and that you are acting. Like, it's not real life at all. It's fantasy. That is true. I feel like a lot of people forget that porn is entertainment. It's, exactly. also, it's also not a how-to guide. No, not yes. at all. Like, and again, some people, they have pretty wild fetishes. And when you do, for example, stuff for like men.com, it's fun to film a lot of that stuff, but some of it's just so ridiculous and <laughs> just so uh, weird. You know what I mean? And a lot of us yeah, are the stepfathers, the stepbrothers, exactly. <laughs> the stepcousins, the stepgrandpas. You yeah, your step niece's great aunt, sister, whatever. Like getting yes. stuck in the. You know what I mean? Like it's just you get stuck in the dryer, in the washing yes. machine, in the oven. Right. Not in front of my salad. People... Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Exactly, you got it. Um, so when you're filming stuff like that or knowing that you're going into film a scene like that, 
some people, I, again, I don't know how much they understand, like, the lines of reality are blurred. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, but it's not reality. Like, it's, it's a fantasy world. Yep, and it's so convoluted, and it is so um, embellished to sell the product. You know what I mean? They need those ad moments that stick out on, like, the corners when you go on Pornhub and stuff. It needs to be something that jumps out at you, and it has to be ridiculous. Like, you know, or something that really just jumps out at you, and that's mm-hmm. how they sell their ads and stuff. True. So yeah. that's, that's what it is. Like, it's not what m- most normal people are doing. Yes, people getting fucked out the window, people, exactly. you know... They they break the glory hole and all of a sudden you know what I'm saying like yep. it's it, they do crazy stuff listeners it is fantasy it's not reality <laughs> it is it's yeah. seen yes exactly some of it's more real than other don't get me wrong like men.com is obviously a lot more fake than some of the other studios but there's definitely a level of performance in each and every single one of them yes well I feel like ever since the purchase. Men has now almost taken – they've basically become the gay version of Brazzers because Brazzers, you know, on the straight side of the industry, I mean, that's kind of like their shtick as well. You know, this fantasy world, over-sexed, height, over-heightened like reality and that sort of thing that they do. No, you're totally right. And, I mean, I remember even doing a scene – and it was literally taken, I think, from, like, a browser scene, but just made, like, gay or bi, basically. Like, they just changed one of the actors to a male, and I, that was it. Otherwise, it was word for word, basically shot for shot, just a gay version of that. Um, and I, I guess I can't blame them to a point because browsers is so huge. As I understand it, like, they make a fucking lot of money off it. A lot of people watch it, for better or worse. And because so many people... Um, follow that 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 site and that content. It's very influential, and it even bleeds into like the the bi and the gay communities to a point. You know what I mean? Like some people are just looking for something that sells, so they'll try stuff like that, and it does sell to some people. So it's it's a big tent with a lot of different type of appetites, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. In your opinion, especially when you were like deep into the studio porn circuit is there any competition amongst performers in the industry did you feel it i'm not necessarily saying you were specifically competing with people but did you get the sense of competition when you were deep into the studio circuit uh yes i would say yes but not at least in from my perspective not anything that was like discouraging or uh it never I never felt defeated by any of that. I think it was mostly just friendly competition and obviously everyone's keeping track of how many followers and how many likes did this post get and, you know, how much did you make from OnlyFans like this month and some of us are keeping track of that and some of us not. And I think it would, I don't think it's too different in a way like how maybe Lady Gaga keeps track of how Taylor Swift did. Like, you know what I mean? Like in, on this new I don't know, maybe to a certain degree, it's sort of like that. You do sort of keep track of your contemporaries. Um, but not everyone is, is as swayed by those numbers and by these things or is as focused on it as others. And a lot of the people who are really big have a whole team behind them, like helping making that possible. You know, they have 
a higher team of people answering their OnlyFans messages, like, and answering their Twitter and just doing all their PR and stuff like that. So it kind of simplifies what the performer needs to do. So uh, I think there's, like, friendly competition in, like, what your group and your posse can do if you really develop, like, a team. Um, and But individuals do it as well. Uh, I felt like that was a lot more... Uh, I felt that a lot more when I was doing studio stuff. I don't feel it so much when I do OnlyFans and uh, my individual things. Let's talk about something that you've uh, kind of briefly mentioned in a couple of your answers, and that's the concept of gay-for-pay performers in the gay adult industry. In the year now, like 2023, like we're in 2023, we're recording this, as I mentioned, October 2nd, 2023, I feel like gay for pay, the term, is so passe in the industry now, just because I feel like performers nowadays are much more upfront and honest if they're bisexual, pansexual, if they're straight, and that sort of thing. I, I don't know if gay for pay is used as much as a term nowadays, but when you were in the thick of it, when you were deep into you know, doing studio work, I mean, it was still a commonly used phrase. So I just want to get your take on performers who personally identify as straight but are doing gay porn. What's your take on them? Yeah, good question. Uh, I guess it depends on the individual and how they really, what it is they want out of their career and out of their performance in the industry, I guess what it is they're after, what it is they want to convey, because it really is different from person to person. I've Some of the best scenes I've done were with straight guys, a bisexual man, or like what I'll call heteroflexible, I guess. Um, just I had a better connection with them, even if it wasn't like a deeply romantic connection because they're not interested in men, they're interested in women at the end of the day. But like they still like took the time to make sure I enjoyed myself and they were interested in getting me off and trying to make the whole scene as real as possible. But some of them were obviously just there for a job. And to be honest, sometimes I was like that too with straight men, with gay men, whatever. It Sometimes the chemistry just was not there and it really just felt like a job. I don't, uh, I think the way some of them, the way some of them behave online, especially like social media, I won't name names, but some of them just come off as, total fucking D-bags, and it seems like maybe they're just using gay men or exploiting, like, a particular subset of the consumer base for their own benefits, and they don't really care about making anything uh, genuine. Uh, and maybe they even look down on gay people when they're performing in gay porn. I think to some extent people have every right because some of the models do kind of come off that way. But not all of them. A lot of them are great. I'd say most of them are pretty great. And, uh, you know, with the rest, they, they give quite a bit of themselves away to straight men when they have sex with men on camera and stuff like that. And some of them are a lot more well-adjusted than others. So I think it's a case-by-case -case basis. I would never say there's no room for any particular type of person in porn. It just depends on the person, how it is they're approaching it, and what it is they want out of it, I guess. But your decor definitely matters. Like onset, offset, online, like, and people should, uh, to a point, keep track of that, for sure.
as a performer in the industry, you know, even now, outside of the studio world, you are still a performer in the adult industry. Do you find it difficult to be in a romantic relationship while working in the business? I'm not necessarily looking for you to get deep into this and into your personal experiences. I, I just want to put that out there. Um, I, you know, I don't know your current situation or anything like that. I'm just asking in general, as a performer, as someone who started off cam modeling and then was deep into studio porn and is now doing their own thing, is it difficult to date or be in a relationship while being a sex worker? I wouldn't say that it's a breeze, but again, I think it's case by case. For me, it was definitely harder to do um, that type of situation, dating, cohabitating, um, the first year or two when I started porn. But it wasn't really because uh, I only had like two major boyfriends throughout that time, and I'm lucky enough that I'm still really good friends with both of them. Like, they're both my best friends, but um, I don't live with them or anything, and I never lived with them. I think that was a big part of the reason <laughs> that I was able to make it work for a while. But yeah, I think there are definitely challenges like to date someone who does porn or does anything like what we do in the sex industry, a sex worker. It's definitely not easy. It takes a particular type of person. Um, they have to have a level of understanding about the industry, even if they're not in it. Um, it doesn't have to be um, a super... Um, a super strong understanding and you don't have to have like a super tight grasp, but there has to be a level of grasp of what it entails and what you have to do. And the person uh, has to be confident in themselves. And I mean, a lot of people, like I'm a human being, I get jealous too. You know what I mean? So it's hard to make peace with that in particular relationships. But again, I didn't, uh, I didn't take time to make, uh, romances with guys who were like super uncomfortable or awkward about that. I was lucky enough to have two men who were, I mean, one of them was a porn star himself and the second one wasn't at all. Um, but just, uh, I, we had a good enough rapport between the two of us to have trust. And those relationships never broke down because of porn or because of sex or, or anything like that. It's actually just because I'm sort of a miserable person to live with and I like living alone. At the end of the day, that's what it is. Um, so I, again, it's, it's person to person. I've seen some great successes and some great tragedies like throughout this type of lifestyle. So, um, someone else might have a very different opinion. Let's talk about only fans, original content, terms of service, and all that kind of stuff. Because something that I've noticed recently with performers is, with, in particular, OnlyFans, and I know that you're on that platform to uh, deliver your original content, they seem to update their terms of service all the time now, and they seem to be kicking off performers and just deleting their accounts for, you know, the, the smallest of infractions. I just want to ask, you do have uh, your content on other platforms as well, but are you ever nervous or scared that, you know, one night you're going to upload something incredibly hot to your OnlyFans, and when you wake up the next morning, your entire account has been deleted. Yeah, I mean, very valid concern for sure. Um, because you're right, it does seem like... And I don't even think, from my perspective, like, it's been happening for the last, like, year or two. Like, basically, 
you know how back in I think it was like summer of 2021 they said they were going to stop porn altogether mm-hmm. on OnlyFans. Yes, around there. But then like after everybody like said their piece about it and you know submitted their opinions, they reversed their decision. But there were caveats. And some of the caveats were like, well, nothing more what they consider obscene. So like, you know, piss, pee, and uh, fisting, and certain other things that like a lot of people like to consume and that a lot of people consider hot, and some of it I consider hot too. But like, now it's like, you either have to bury that somewhere in a video or you just can't post it at all. Especially if it's like what they deem obscene. And it's really weird because it's like at their discretion, you know what I mean? It's like, Whoever is reviewing your account, it's like their discretion. And it seems like their discretion varies from account to account for like a number of factors. I haven't had terrible luck. I'm knocking on wood for real. At this point, I've had a couple things. Yeah, I've had a couple of things removed, but not much. But I've always taken care to respond in time to things that they flag and to demonstrate that I have an understanding of like the fact that their policies change and that they're evolving and that they're trying to keep it legal, but it's not maybe necessarily so easy to do. Like obscenities are gray. They're open to interpretation, apparently things like that. And they don't ever give you like a solid reason for why they delete stuff. A lot of the times it's just gone. Like, uh, so I think they do have, um, an obligation to their user base, to the people who are making their money, to be more transparent about these things, to be more specific and more direct and more consistent with the, their methods, to be much clearer in their wording. Um, that's definitely on them. But at the same time, too, the only reason this is still legal is because they've taken these measures to remove particular types of content. And I don't have a lot of fisting and a lot of piss stuff on OnlyFans, but I can have it on just for fans. And who knows, maybe just for fans get big enough, eventually they might have to observe these laws too or have to adjust things. And I think uh, just for fans has even acknowledged that at some point they might have to. But I think OnlyFans is like just trying to do the most with what is allotted to them, which I applaud them for. Um, I still think it's a great platform overall, but it's, it's obviously very frustrating to have your content removed. And if all your content is fetish stuff like that and more hardcore stuff like fisting pissing and what have you um yes i understand why people would jump ship or have a lot of complaints uh i mean it makes total sense and i think only fans definitely has an obligation to address that so for now i've been okay uh i don't i don't try to push it too much but anytime they've ever sent me like an email or a flag i acknowledge it right away and i like try to write to them like that I understand, <laughs> like that uh, I can't do this anymore, that type of thing. But again, I have no idea if that actually makes a difference, but that's what I've been doing. Well, let's shift away from the serious questions, and let's focus back on you and your original content, actually. Let's talk about your content on your OnlyFans and your Just for Fans. What type of content can the listeners expect to see on both avenues? For sure. So OnlyFans, there's more content just because I've had that platform for longer. But there's not a ton of ton of extra videos. But basically, like, um, I was a little bit younger when I started. So if you like the more Twinkie version of me, like OnlyFans is probably the best place to start. But it's a lot of butt stuff. 
anyone who knows me from Chatterbait knows I love showing my ass, spread my asshole, stuff like that. And you can call it a butthole, a pussy, anything you want to call it. I like showing it. So that's a lot of the content that's on my um, OnlyFans and Just for Fans. It's, I'd say, 75, maybe even 80% solo content, which seems, for the most part, to satiate my fans. Again, that's what a lot of people know me for is solo shows on OnlyFans, finger in my butthole, um, with toys in my ass, or just playing with it, showing it off. Sometimes there's no toys. Sometimes I jerk off and come. Sometimes I don't. Uh, and there's duos, and on OnlyFans, I'm kind of half and half between topping and bottoming. Maybe a little more bottoming, yeah. But anyways, on OnlyFans, it's slightly more tame because of these uh, aforementioned restrictions and stipulations. On Just For Fans, there's fewer videos, but a lot more, like, raunchier videos. There's piss vids, fisting vids. I don't get fisted in any of these vids. I've never actually been fisted on camera, but I fist men sometimes. I like it. And... Um, like, there's no violence, there's no race play, nothing like that. Stuff I'm not into. But, like, it's just sex with another guy or me just pleasuring myself, basically. But sometimes it's very dirty. Some of it's fetish. I sell I sell things on my store now and just, uh, just for fans that's maybe a little bit more raunchy. You can go ahead and explore if you're interested in that stuff. But, like, um, again, I don't think, for the most part, I push anything too hard. Like, there's... No blood, no animals, no violence, no children, nothing like that. So I feel like I get away with a bit more just because even poppers I don't show ever in my, like, there's no drug use, no smoking, no alcohol, just because I know that's stuff they don't want to see. So I feel like I avoid a lot of issues because of that. How often do you update your original content? Yeah. Um, so this month I've been a little bit... Uh, the last month, September, I've been a little bit busy. It's been two, almost three weeks since I uploaded. But I have seven new videos on the way, uh, seven new posts, I guess. Um, one collaboration. It's usually about 10 posts a month, usually. Like, And sometimes I post every single day, like one post. But it might just be like, you know, a couple pictures one day, and then next, like a full video, and then maybe a short clip the next day, and then some pictures, and then a video. So it's not always super super consistent but there's content every month like all month there's some new content and it's usually at least 10 posts a month let's talk about your camming because you also cam on chatterbait what makes a good yeah. cam show for you after the show's over in your mind what makes a successful show um it's really nice to uh there's a lot of people now that i just know their names right off it's really good to see them come back in especially Sometimes I might go a couple months or a few months without doing like a public show where everyone's allowed in. I might just do, excuse me, private shows. Um, so it's really nice that I come back for a while and there's a lot of people popping in. It's been a while since I've seen, and some of them, it's like I haven't seen their name for maybe a year. And then this is how we're reconnecting, and then we sort of catch up like it's been no time at all. I really love that. Like people remember me, I remember people, and people have nothing but praise to offer me. And like, we talk about even like how you and I are having this conversation. Sometimes we straight up talk like this. And even though they're just typing, you know, um, I'm able to give my opinion and talk about stuff. They ask me questions. I ask them questions. Um, there's times when we're talking about politics, about the industry, about, you know, new music. I really, really enjoy that. It's not always sexual. I might have my ass out, but I might be talking about, you know, like, 
uh, Quebec politics or something. It's really fun. So I, if everyone just, if everyone has a good time and if everyone feels like they were heard in some way or if it felt like it was really interactive and I felt like it was a, an actual show where everyone was, it's like a hangout almost. If I feel like we hung out, then I feel really good. I love that. Yeah, that's really nice. Now, since we're talking about all of your original content, you on social media and that sort of thing, I'm curious to ask, what part of your body gets the most attention on social media? I'm not too sure. Probably it's either my butt or my dick. My butthole specifically or my dick. I'm, <laughs> I'm pretty flat, but I've made a whole career out of my butthole. Like in my, uh, <laughs> I'm lucky enough to be slightly above average for my penis, so people obviously love that too. Have you ever gotten recognized in public? Yeah, but not anything like – the only time I've really gotten recognized on the street is like here in Montreal, like, and particularly in the village, like the gay village here in Montreal, because I'm a, I'm a local now. You know what I mean? Like, uh, and people know they're, they're local people, and there's a lot of porn stars and sex workers here. So to a point, I'm known. But I blend in a lot more than a lot of the others. Um, I'm a little bit more ordinary looking and I dress a little more ordinary and I don't go to the village often, but that's in real life, like on the street, that's sort of where I get recognized. And now and then uh, a random person might recognize me from my hometown or if I go like to a city, like in more of the gay areas, like uh, when I went to Fort Lauderdale a couple of years ago, some people knew me, but like if I went to, I don't know, like um, Kansas City or something, they probably would have no idea who I was. <laughs> so. Tell me something quirky about yourself uh, that uh, most people don't know. Something unique about Thiel. Hmm. I think there's maybe a lot that people would consider quirky or downright weird or awkward about me. I'm not too sure. Uh, I'm a very musical person. Some people know that, and I don't know if that's quirky, but I was never athletic or good at sports or really anything much else, um, but I love music. I, I taught myself to read music and play several instruments, like, and I do music as a hobby. Um, and I, um, I'm definitely somewhere on the autism spectrum for sure. Like, uh, I've never got an outright diagnosis, but there's no doubt in my mind now that I'm, I probably have Asperger's or some form of inhibition in that way some social inhibition some something that makes me a little neurodivergent i would say um but i'm actually seeing a doctor here in a, another couple months and i don't want to self-diagnose but i'm like 99 sure that i'm a little bit different in that way describe yourself in 10 words or less this is difficult i don't talk to many people or go out much. Ten words. I love it. You made a sentence. That works for me. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yes. Well, as we start wrapping things up, I have this list of pop culture oriented questions that are designed to allow the listeners and your fans to get to know some of your favorites. So the first question in this set is, what are five of your most favorite television shows? Right now, I am obsessed with what we do in the shadows. The series, I think, mm -hmm. it's by FX. I love that fucking show. I think it's so hilarious. 
the actors are great, the writing is great. Just the macabre humor, I think, is fantastic. Uh, I really loved Fleabag. I thought that was not just an entertaining show, but I thought it was so culturally significant and so of the time and just so well-written. Um, I think I'll always be interested in whatever uh, Phoebe Waller-Bridge comes up with. Um, hmm. I really like Solar Opposites. Uh, I think that's a really fun, terrific animated show. I tend to prefer animated shows. Um, I watch a lot of TV, so this is difficult. I think for more recent relevant shows, Severance on Apple TV is an excellent series. There's just one season out so far, but it was left on a huge cliffhanger. I just think it's a fascinating uh, television show and quite a bit different from the ones I mentioned. I think we're at four now. Four shows. I think one more show or two. I can't. Uh, I can count. Um, there's so many. I guess um, I will always love the Golden Girls. <laughs> I I do. I've seen almost every episode like two times. I just think it was a really great show and pretty progressive in a lot of ways. I I think that will stand the test of time. And finally, I guess, hmm, I really enjoy Bob's Burgers. I think that's probably my favorite show of all time. I just think it's a wonderful, lighthearted, very good-natured show. The humor is fantastic. Uh, I wish I knew somebody like Bob and Linda and Tina and Jean and Louise. Who are four of your all-time favorite music artists? Ooh, this is also hard. I think my favorite artist of all time is PJ Harvey. She's a British artist, um, English. I just, I have admired and respected that woman since I was maybe 15 years old. Uh, I wouldn't say that I'm just a fan. I'm kind of a bit of fanatic of Polly Jean Harvey. I think she's fucking incredible. And she just released her latest album this past July. It's called I Inside the Old Year Dying. She's fantastic, a superb artist. I always recommend checking her out. I really love Neil Young, too, who's Canadian. I just think he's a fantastic songwriter. I really love Joni Mitchell. So these aren't really what I would call contemporary artists, even though they still perform, but they're in their 70s now. Um, but just two wonderful Canadian um, visceral artists. She's not so much known for her music these days, um, but I really loved the band Hole and the artist Courtney Love when I was growing up in the 90s and in the 2000s. I think that band was saying things and she was saying things that people just weren't ready to hear. <laughs> like, and you know, now the whole Me Too movement, like bands like Hole and singers like Courtney Love were fucking screaming this shit back in like 1990. So anyways, I just think culturally they were very significant and they were just really tight. I really loved a lot of their songs and a lot of their music still do. And uh, I really like Queens of the Stone Age and Bjork. Um, I know I, I think that's six artists now. I could go on forever, but I just really love the vibe, the sound, everything about the professionalism of Queens of the Stone Age and basically every single thing about Bjork. She's an artist through and through. What are three of your most favorite films? This one's very hard. I don't know if I could narrow it down. Oof. Um, 
I guess <laughs> this one might be a little random. Not a lot of people know it. Some people do. There's a mockumentary from 1998, I think. I forget the director's name um, and the writer's name, but it's called Drop Dead Gorgeous. Yes. It's, uh, mock- yes. It's about small town, you know, like... Um, pageants. Beauty pageants. Exactly. It's not... doesn't always hit the humor, but I think overall it's just a... An absolutely wonderful, hilarious representation of that lifestyle and that time. And I grew up in a small ass, not Midwestern, but a small Canadian town that wasn't quite as different as that. And we had those types of pageants and just all that type of um, colorful characters, I guess. All those colorful characters in small towns. So that one, I guess, has always been a favorite of mine. Um, I really love Aliens. I watched that movie, Alien and Aliens, the first two. I watched those at least twice a year, I guess. It's sort of like a tradition for me. I just think they're incredible films. And hmm, this is really hard. There are so many movies that I love. I think I actually really like The Babadook, oddly enough. I know Hmm. it's kind of cheap and Mm -hmm. not a lot of jump, but I just... You know, it's about, like, sort of battling mental illness and about battling, like, that sort of thing and postpartum depression and loss and the way they built it up into a character and stuff. Um, In some ways, I sort of felt that in my mother. (laughs) I just, like, that whole struggle and that whole battle that was going on, it was amazing to see it painted on screen like that. And I don't know, I'm really into stuff like that and the films like that. What are two foods you can't live without? Um, very generic pizza. I any even Hawaiian. I love pizza in almost any way. And um, actually, apples. I love apples. That's like my favorite snack. So I, you won't come over to my place and see an empty bowl like there's always apples of some kind in my kitchen bowl. And what is one of your guilty pleasures? Ooh. Again, I have many. Um, I'm not too sure. Um, I guess <laughs> I really like the song Nothing in This World by Paris Hilton. I think it's a wonderful song. I think it's a great little pop track. And I think it was a lot more fun than a lot of other stuff that came out that year, like 2005-ish or something. Um, and I'm not a particular fan of Paris Hilton. I don't think she's a particularly skilled singer, but I think that was a really nice little pop hit, and it's it's something I listen to quite often, even today. Even better than Stars Are Blind? Yes. I don't really care for that too much. I prefer Nothing in This World. It's a totally different song. All right. I will have to check yeah. it out. I'm not, <laughs> much like you, I'm not a Paris Hilton nista, but I do love Stars Are Blind. <laughs> Well, it's a good song. Yeah, it's a good wrong. song. Yeah. I just don't think it's the best song on that album. Oh, and there's okay. maybe two good songs on there. And that's <laughs> it's one of the two. Well, there you go. Yeah. What are you currently binging? Are you currently binge watching anything? Yeah, actually, I don't know if you are aware or ever watched Adventure Time, like the main series that came mm-hmm. out. I think it yeah it ran for about like ten ten years or so. I think it was nine or ten seasons. Um, but it's been a while since I've watched that series. I've watched almost all of it. But there's a new series now that's sort of based on all that, and it's double the length per episode, and it's more adult-oriented. It's not, like, rated R, but it's just... 
I'd say Adventure Time was a little bit more PG-13 a lot of the time, where this is just much more PG-13 or 17. Like, uh, it's called Fiona and Cake, Adventure Time. And it's like um, uh, Finn and Jake, but it's like a female version of that. And they made a whole new series. And the, um, the first season just came out, and I think it just wrapped up like a couple of days ago. What's next for Thile? What's on the horizons for Thile? Um, so I recently completed a, uh, tech program. It was basically, uh, it's through Google. It's like, uh, technical support fundamentals. So like an IT support role, it was a three month course that I did all online, um, over zoom. Like it was in class for three months. Now I'm doing the Google, sorry, the Google UX design course. And I'm also taking, uh, I'm getting my Hootsuite license renewed and I'm doing a couple other things with, um, ticket tracker i'm sort of slowly uh gradually entering the tech sector but like part-time the only reason i've sort of um gravitated towards tech is because obviously it's just becoming more ubiquitous and we're on this whole new uh cusp with ai like we're sort of at the beginning of another revolution i guess for tech at least so i kind of want to get my hands in there maybe help me eventually make my own website someday. Maybe I won't always have to rely on OnlyFans. Um, I know how to code a little bit. I know a couple of programming languages, but now I'm starting to actually get the technical certifications to back me up. And I also work part-time right now for the past few months um, as a data rater and a data analyst for uh, DataForce. So it's all remote, and it's not super technical stuff, but you kind of have to have an idea of what you're doing and it's like sort of my foot in the door part-time in the tech world. So I think that's sort of where I'm slowly heading to. I think I will sort of split my time between the two. Very nice. And is there anything else in regards to your original content that the listeners can ex- expect from you from the near future outside of just the norm? Uh, yeah, I have a few people who are coming to Montreal, um, American guys who I've been uh, really wanting to perform with for a while. I think they're very hot. I won't name the names. You'll have to find out. But uh, this month, around the middle of October, and next month, around the middle of November, there's a couple people. Um, some of it will be mixed race, um, different physiques, different vibes. I think it'll be cool collaboration. So I do have more collaborations on the way. But basically, a lot of what you see in OnlyFans, I also have a ton of more of that. <laughs> like uh, butt stuff, solo stuff. And um, towards the uh, end of this month, I'll be doing a lot more public cam shows, too. I just really haven't had a whole lot of time to focus on it. How can your fans reach you? Where can they find you on the web, social media, all of the important links on where they can find you and your original content? For sure. So I'm still calling it Twitter. If you prefer to call it X, (laughs) I'm on that platform. Still, that's probably where I have the most activity. Um, You can definitely DM me there. I think my DMs are open to anybody. Um, If I'm interested, I'll answer. And for the most part, I do answer eventually, if not always immediately um also if you uh there should be a link to it's called linktree which has like a series of links to socials and platforms and from there you can access my just for fans my only fans i'm on instagram usually as style or like file xxx or file kx i can provide you links of course if you want for later um but yeah that's usually you can email me too thylenox at gmail.com, but all of this can be found mostly through Twitter. You can check me on uh, Chatterbaits, chatterbait.com slash style. It's just Google File, and you can find me. 
Perfect. Well, this does bring us to the end of our interview. Is there anything that you would like to say to your fans and supporters that are tuning in? For sure. Thank you so much for uh, listening to this, if you did, and even if you didn't. I know you guys are out there, and I've been so fortunate to have so much support, so much love. Uh, the whole reason I'm here having this conversation is because of you guys, for sure. There's no performance without the audience. You are just as important to the industry as we are. So fucking thank you so much. I love you guys. And you too, Pappy. You're welcome. I certainly want to thank you so much for the interview, Thile. You were fantastic. Thank you. I think you were too. And I'm really happy that uh, it uh, went well for you from your point of view. Absolutely. And that's very kind of you to say as well. And listen, the door is open for more. I know that it took us 10,000 years to do this interview, <laughs> but... It was the right time. It was the right moment. Whenever you want to come back, even if it's in another 10,000 years, the door is open for more. So just know that. You have an open invitation to update the listeners really, on what you're up to. That's great. I Hey, it's really uh, kind of you to extend that invitation. And I'm quite certain I'll probably take advantage of it in the near future. I'm really a lot more comfortable now having made the initial connection. But also, just in my life in general, I'm much more... Uh, ready to give these types of interviews. So absolutely, thank you. You're welcome. And listeners, I also want to thank you for tuning into One on One with Papi Chulo. Before we go, here's our answer to remind you on how you can interact with us. Thank you for downloading One on One with Papi Chulo. Here are a few helpful reminders. For more information on One on One with Papi Chulo, visit poppychuloradio.com slash after dark. Follow Poppy Chulo on Twitter at twitter.com slash poppychulo one on one. That's at poppychulo. The number one. The word on. And the number one. Like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash radio. Follow us on Twitter, twitter.com slash radio. Do you have any questions, suggestions, comments, or concerns? Email us via contact at poppychularadio.com. Are you interested in joining the Poppy Chula Radio team as an on-air personality? Email talent at poppychularadio.com. Binge listen to your favorite Poppy Chula Radio programs by visiting poppychularadio.com slash archives. Back to you, Poppy Chulo. Thanks, an answer. And with that... Thyle Knox, and I would like to wish you and yours a wonderful night. Good night, listeners. Good night, listeners. Thank you. Love you. Let's go. Thanks for listening to One on One with Poppy Chulo. To contact us with any of your questions, suggestions, comments, or concerns, email us at contact at poppychuloradio.com. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter by going to twitter.com slash poppychuloradio. And like us on Facebook by visiting facebook.com slash poppychuloradio. Be sure to listen again next week as we continue to showcase exclusive interviews with some of the adult industry's most popular male performers. This is Ben Patrick Johnson saying good night and have a wonderful week. <laughs>